Welcome back to the Two Top Podcast. Welcome back. Season two, episode six. We're here with me, your host, Thomas Lance, and my co-host, Matt Berg. And we have our lovely sponsor this week, uh, Mr. Foods. Mr. Food is the gourmet of the food industry. He delivers weekly caviar, quiches, escargot, your special fish from the beautiful sea. The mer is your oyster. And it comes at a reasonable price of $2.99 a month. Yeah, $2.99 a month. And actually, we have a discount code using the the promo code 2TOP. You can get 15% off that. Yeah, for your first three months. So, with that, Mr. Food, we'll talk about him more later in the end of the episode. But for now, Matt, we're going to dive in. Let's dive into it. Let's learn something new today. So, right now, you're listening to a podcast. And podcasts, in a sense, are radios on demand. Exactly. Yeah, I, I can click it and listen to it when I want. But let's talk about radio. Okay. I'm in Classic. my car. I'm tuning the stations. I'm trying to find my jams. Your frequencies. And I'm thinking. FM, AM, are all over the place. What a wild world that we can just live in and listen to anything on the air, in a sense. Yeah, they can broadcast anything. If you really think about it, radio is a wild thing. So let's dive into a little quick, quick crash course on the radio. So the radio today is in, is just a common technology. It's in your cars, no matter what, it's in your home. And it's just been around since the late, late 1800s in a sense is when it really like started off with Morse code was what it grew up from because Morse code was around during the civil war communication via the train line as the train line would move forward the more the code lines would go up next to them so this radio you can argue was argue, was created by Nikola Tesla in 1893 of course when he was demonstrating his wireless radio at St. Louis Missouri but despite this demonstration, a guy named Macaroni. Ah, Marconi. Marconi. Macaroni. <laughs> he was often credited as the father and inventor of the radio. One of these reasons is because he was the first one to do a w- wireless telegraph patent in 1896, which is three years later. But it was a different, different sort of device. Now, this is important because now you had transatlantic communications. Talk to your buddies across the ocean, like over radio. Across the pond. Now, the thing is, before World War I, radios were primarily used to contact ships out at sea. When it comes down, radio wasn't like your casual, like, here is the newest uh, Kelly Clarkson song. It's, no, no, that was that was not broadcasted back then. It's we're coming to harbor, SOS, <laughs> SOS pirates attacked us. Exactly. So later, though, into the 1920s is when radio kind of had to shift into more civilian applications across the U.S. and Europe. Broadcasting stations such as a KDKA in Pittsburgh and the English Broadcasting Company, BBC, still around today, began to surface. So in the 1920s, the Westinghouse Company applied for and received a commercial radio license, which allowed for the creation of these first radio stations in the U.S. Now, originally the radio was licensed by the government, obviously. So now the radio 
was starting to become more popular. Home-built radio receivers were the solution to this. How do we get them into the public? And they were cheap to produce, and everybody was getting their radios. It's basically an easy, easy process, just getting a band frequency to receive radio signals. Exactly. And anyone could do it at home. You can still do it. In the 19, in 1923, AT&T released the first radio ad. In the late 20s, CBS and NBC were creating their own um, sole stations for radio broadcasting, for the news. Now, isn't that funny? The radio wasn't out for more than a couple years before someone was putting ads on it already. Hey, there's some. There's they some, saw potential for advertising. There's a money making opportunity everywhere. If you can, if you can spread that much information to that many people that quickly and that easily on that level, obviously advertising potential out the wazoo. So this was also going on in Europe. We're going to talk about Britain real quick. So in 1922, British Broadcasting Company, also known as the BBC, the BBC, they quickly spread across the UK, but. In a sense, they were trying to take over the newspaper, but they failed to do so, and that makes sense because I mean, a newspaper you can look at any article you want. Radio, you have to listen to someone talk. And actually, it got so bad that the newspaper companies went on strike because of this disagreement between radio and the news. So, to this day, BBC is still the leading source of information when it comes to London. In both the U.S. and the U.K., entertainment slowly became the main use of radio. So, here's where the shift comes. When World War II hits, radio has taken up a different, different role. With the help of journalists, radios were relaying the news of the war to the public. Because, you know, we're fighting a war in an ocean across the sea. Us Americans, we want to know what's going on. TVs are still kind of coming into reality. But radio is how people know. Everybody's got a radio. Everybody's listening in. So this was helping journalists gain public support from well, the public. The government needed people to get bonds. You need to hear arguments of the war and what's going on across the sea. So the UK was the primary source of radio because at the time, television stations were shut down. So radio had to come and stick its guns out and be like, we'll send the information to the world. Now, as um, as radio like continued, there was entertainment as well as the war was going on. You know, there's got to be programs to lighten up the scene. And there was stories. There was, in a sense, it's your TV shows on radio, like just spoken word. Now... There was also top charts at this point. Music was being played on the radio. It was, it was the good time. The good, the high life of radio was like the forties, fifties, sixties. Oh yeah, absolutely. Now you got your, the FM stations, and AM stations, now kind of shifted, and the FM stations were all, your music, your rock and roll, you know, your good jams, your War of the Worlds, and out like video talks. I mean, not video, radio talk. Radio talk, yeah. Spooking half of America. People believe that. That's that's the effect of radio. Yeah. You know, it's not believe what you see, it's believe what you hear, I guess, in a, in a sense. So today, radio is so much more than what Tesla or Macron could ever have imagined. Uh, traditional radios and radio broadcasting have steadily become a thing of the past. 
instead steadily evolving into satellite radio and internet radio stations. The radio is not only found in homes, but it's also in vehicles. In addition to music, radio talk shows have also become a popular option to many. The two-way radio front, the digital two-way radios, allow for one-way communication that is typically encrypted. The radio is here to stay, and it will continue to grow and shift as time goes on. I don't know in the new cars if they're going to be ditching the radios. I don't know if the Tesla has a radio. That's a good point. Will they ditch radios ever? I don't know. You know, same reason that they took so long to ditch a CD drive in a car. Here's why... um this is what I'm thinking. You know how uh, the resurgence of film is kind of like a hipster thing to shoot cameras of, with film? Yeah. Will radio operation be the new hipster trend in many years? Set? I don't know, Matt. I think you and me, sh- we should upload our podcast and, and broadcast, broadcast it, live it on, on a, a loop. On a pirate radio. Super niche. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we're going to do like, pi- pirating radio that's, frequencies. That's we're going to steal a band. That's the super, super hipster thing to do. It's like we don't have a radio station. We have a pirate radio station. Illegally going over the air is listen to my jams. Illegally. We can, we're not controlled by the big companies. We can play whatever we want to play. We'll be sued, but we I can do it. want to rock and roll all night. I wonder if they could track people down based on, yeah, I'm sure they can. I yeah. know they can. They just have to find the frequency. Anyway, we just have to but. set it up in a remote location and then not not be on site. We can remotely control the remote location from our our home built pirate radio. Actually, now that I think of it, tracking a radio signal will be pretty easy, because I mean I'm just guessing, but the way radio works is signals are sent out in concentric circles in all directions. So in a sense, you go and play a game of hot potato, of you're or hot and cold as you kind of get closer to the station the frequency gets better and the quality gets better and better and better until you're right on top of it yeah that's right you you have that drop off once you get outside of the range that's why radio doesn't work across the country that's why it's only local but hey i'm a big fan of radio i love to listen to it in the car sometimes you know you don't want to be switching the tracks or have a playlist go sometimes Listening to radio is just not the same as listening to music on your phone. Streamed music. It's just something about it is a different experience. I honestly can tell you I hate the radio just because the big companies own the radio. And when I listen to the radio, it happens that probably 85 to 90 percent of the time it's advertisements. Um, Lots of ads. But hey, they have their they have their moments. That's I, true. You know, sometimes it's really nice when you're sick of your own music and you put it on and they, they make, it's a surprise, you know, and it could be it could be anything. And there's stations to pick from, obviously. I mean, some stations will play the same song 10 times in a row, but hey. And it's cool that they have they have talk between music sometimes, too. You know, you can learn something, get an idea. Who knows? Who knows? Well, Matt, that's why I have this week. What do you bring to the table today? First, I want to say the the our macaroni guy, yeah. Marconi. He has the coolest first name. Did you did you say his first name? No, I didn't. It's like Giovanni or Guglielmo. Yeah, Guglielmo Marconi. Yeah, he. If I have a son, I'll I'll, I'll name him Guglielmo. Guglielmo Marconi. Marconi. Yeah. So, I have another thing that we're gonna we're gonna break down the history. The traffic signal. The three lights. The three lights. Well, it didn't always start out as three lights. It started out as two lights. And it didn't even start out on roads. Can you guess where it started out? Uh, ships, rivers. No? Trains? Different, 
Trains. Trains. Yep. It's train tracks. Go. Stop. Basic basic operation. Um, actually, they were all manual controlled, so a guy had to be there to do it. It was not automated. Oh, man. If someone manually controlled the lights, there'd be times in the day that I'd be upset at someone <laughs> flipping a switch. <laughs> yeah, controlling your life, literally. Anyway, the first American-made automobiles were introduced to consumers just before the turn of the 20th century. To deal with the growing problem of traffic accidents, a bunch of versions of traffic signaling devices began to be developed starting around 1913. Well, I mean, if World War One area, you yeah. know, if cars are on the road. So in London in the 1860s, a British railway manager, John Peake Knight. So this is the OG traffic signal creator right here. John Peake Knight suggested adapting a railroad method for controlling traffic in the streets. So at that time and still to this day, bikes, pedestrians, cars, buses, everything is driving on the same road. We all need signals. Humans have traffic signals, you know, walk, yeah. stop. Counting down, you better run. You have to be safe. So railroads initially used a semaphore system with small arms extending from a from a pole indicating whether a train could pass or not. Very simple, very simple. Stop, go. So and only at night um, there were lit up red and green lights, so you could see it. And they would be um, used. Gas lamps would be used to illuminate them. So a police officer would be stationed next to the signals to operate them. So police officers were the original kind of traffic operators. They still are to this day. That's one of their their goals. Normally, we picture police to handle problems. Well, traffic is a problem, you know? When traffic lights are down, you see a police officer out there guiding traffic. So the world's first traffic signal was inst- installed on December 9th, 1868. So that's very, very early, before most people even had cars, really. So at the intersection of Bridge Street and Great George Street in London, the borough of uh, Westminster, near the Houses of Parliament and the Westminster Bridge, um, it was a success, and and our boy John Peake Knight was very thrilled that it was a success, and he was like, oh, I'm going to make a ton of money off this. Unfortunately, one month later, a police officer controlling the signal because it was manually operated was badly injured when one of the gas mains on the lamp exploded next to him. Well, that's so that shut down. The, that shut down the project. They're like, well, if we have to have guys manning this, it's it's not worth our time. They realized uh, it's kind of stupid. So there were many people making different designs after this, though. It it continued after the the eighteen sixties seventies there. So following the accident, about four decades passed before the traffic signals began to. There was a resurgence of traffic signals because people realized so many people are having cars. There's accidents. We need traffic signals. You can't just have a guy standing in the road. We want automated traffic signals. But at first, they weren't automated. So in 1910, Ernest Sirene, an American inventor, introduced the first automatically controlled traffic signal in Chicago. So his traffic signal used a non-illuminated display with two arms. You know, go and stop. Well, it was stop and proceed. <laughs> the first electric traffic light using red and green lights was invented in 1912 by Lester Farnsworth Wire. He was a police officer in Salt Lake City, Utah, according to family um, search. So, like I said, police officers were the guys controlling these things. They were also the ones that really wanted it to be automated so they didn't have to manually operate it. Yeah, so well, they were lazy. <laughs> I wanted to comment on that. That's pretty wild that it's all falling within the police officer's hands. But it makes sense. They're supposed to control the law. And the, the traffic, traffic laws. Is the law, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the first electric traffic light, oh, I'm sorry, the first electric traffic signal, this is different, was by James Hodge. So he um, put a patent on it in 1918. So he, he kind of owned it, Mr. Hodge, owned it, Mr. Hodge. 
the signal was illuminating and it would alternate between the words stop and move and it was installed on a single post on each of the four corners of an intersection so the system was wired so that police and fire departments could actually adjust the rhythm of the signals in case of an emergency so they could bypass it and go through that was that was the start all the way back in 1918 for when police and fire prioritize their passage through intersections well it had to start somewhere i guess <laughs> and you know it still wasn't time it was timed basic on a basic system for traffic to go and stop it wasn't adaptive so nowadays i'll get to that in a minute but nowadays we have adaptive traffic signals so William Giglieri of San Francisco patented the first automatic traffic signal that used red and green lights in 1917. So he, he got the patent on it. Everybody's fighting for the different designs because they know it's going to be huge. Everyone has a car. The government needs to buy these. So do you, when um, our man John Peak Knight first started selling these back in the day, do you know? How, can you guess how much he would, he would sell them for? He would sell each British one government. for back then money or nowadays money? It was back then. Uh, 50, 50, uh, 50 pounds? Right? I don't, no, I don't know pounds. I know the dollar equivalent. $50. No, way more. $100? Way more. $2,000? I saw $40,000. For each one? For a whole, I'm guessing it's the intersection, the whole linked system to set it up. Someone's making money. Yeah, exactly. That's why so many people jumped in. They're like, uh, lucrative opportunity right here. We should get in on this. So everybody's fighting for a patent. In 1920, William Potts, he was a Detroit police officer. Again, another police officer. Developed several automated traffic light systems, including the first three color signals. So this is where we have the yellow light, the, the, um, the caution light. So the man who actually kind of took over the yellow light and what the father of our modern traffic light was in, let's see, 1922 and 23, Garrett Augustus Morgan Sr. He was an American inventor, African-American inventor. He designed the light to have the yellow light and threw a patent on it right away. He wasn't the one to come up with it. Like I said, William Potts was the one that came up with the yellow light, but the one who thought we need to utilize this is Garrett Augustus Morgan because he witnessed a serious, serious accident back in the 1920s. And he was like, well, we need a warning signal so people can slow down or proceed. Yeah, because if you're going at this and green light, light and it's and green light, and if it all of a sudden switches, if you're driving fast, that could be a disaster. It could be. You need the in-between. So it's a very simple system to stop, go, caution. What do you think the yellow light means to you? It means start to slow down. Start to slow down. Some people say it means speed up. It depends uh, on it, how it, close it I am. Exactly. You have to read the situation. But that buffer, that zone of buffer right there, it's important. Otherwise, we'd have so many accidents. So are you going to talk about the timing of it? Well, today we see traffic algorithms. So these lights are actually smart. They're all wired together. They're linked to networks that actually read traffic congestion. So they can adapt based on the time of day how much traffic in real time but most traffic lights are based on timers that traffic engineers actually set up to allow traffic to pass through based on five o'clock rush hour obviously they're going to be quicker durate quicker little spans of, of green lights you know and red lights and so everyone can get through traffic science is very very fascinating and if i had another life to live i'd probably study it because it's a complex system it's so complex to make intersections and exit ramps and everything linked together without having 
fault. There's so much room for error on, and it's such a big scale too. You're building bridges, roads, intersections. It's crazy. So, so that's what I have for the history of traffic signals. The future of traffic signals with automated cars. Will we even need them in the future? I don't even know. I don't even think so. Now I have one quick question. I don't know if you were finding this during your research. So the green light could be however long, the red light can be however long, but is the yellow light a consistent length? You know what? That's a great question because I've been thinking about that. I didn't see anything online about that. No one mentioned that. But I know in some states, our, I know in Pennsylvania, our yellow lights are shorter than, say, New Jersey. Oh. I know for a fact they are. So I don't know who determines that. Because it'd be nice to know it's like, all right, the light switched, so that means in six seconds it's going to switch to the the next color. Exactly. Red. You don't know. And you know what? That's another thing. They don't want people to know exactly how long it is because they want people to be cautious and slow down or, or be extra careful. You know, they don't want them to count like five, four, three, to speed up, you know? Right. That's, that's dangerous. That that's, dangerous. That's very risky. Now, I always used to say like, oh... The yellow, if you're going downhill to an intersection, the yellow light is longer because it takes it's harder for you to slow down. So they let you pass through safely. That I always thought sense. that. My dad fought against that. He was like, no, they're, they're set the same. But I have noticed through driving, I drive all the time, I have noticed that when you're going downhill to an intersection, the yellow lights are normally timed longer. So it's definitely a calculation. It's all based on the intersection, I think. And it's programmed by the traffic engineers. Well, that was some good stuff right there. Thank you for the lovely history of information. traffic signals. So this week we had our radio. We had our traffic signals, both texts from the beginning of the 19th century. Hey, I think that's a pretty good history lesson for today. And I just want to say thank you again to Mr. Chef for giving our lovely sponsorship. You know, you can go uh, enter in the code to top. For fifteen uh, percent uh, off your first three months. Yeah, that's a that's twelve meals right there. That's a lot of caviar, if you know what I mean, right? It's caviar, quiche, fine steak, cuts of meat. You can the, get anything gourmet delivered right to your doorstep. Uh, the mustard from the the outskirts of France, lovely. Fine cheeses, also. They have a special cheese tab on their page with a list of all the cheeses that they offer. Some of the finest cheeses pretty, I've ever seen. I mean, it's pretty cheesy. It's, it's pretty, pretty cheesy. cheesy yeah. The whole company is pretty cheesy. All right. Well, that's it for this week's episode of Two Top. I hope you guys enjoyed, and we'll see you guys next time. See you soon. Produced by Thomas Lance. Two Top is currently a non-funded project recorded weekly. For general inquiries or feedback, contact us at twotoppodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, and join us next week for another Two Topics.